This episode is sponsored by National Treasures Artists in Residence. National Treasures funds artist participation in artists in residence programs during their twilight years. They also forge mentorships so that expertise honed over years will be passed along one-on-one to a younger generation of artists and memorialized in a digital library. Visit nationaltreasuresair.org. On this episode, we have Hani Gluck. Hani was born and raised in New York City. She parlayed experiences working in physicians' offices, managing their billing into a significant standalone billing management business, which she conceived of at the age of 19 and officially launched at the age of 24. She was able to scale her business by outsourcing business services to India, where she travels frequently. She sold a portion of her business and continues to operate a staffing business where she maintains operations in India. She's a mother of four and also relocated nearly a decade ago to Arizona. Hani, thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's really a great pl- pleasure. I'm uh, really inspired by your story, and I know that several others, um, audience members, will be as well. Um, let's start from the beginning. You hail from the great city and state of New York. Yes. Love Brooklyn, uh, New York. Okay. And um, when did your family migrate there? So my grandparents are Holocaust survivors. Um, They both went through the Holocaust. And so post-Holocaust, my grandparents went to Canada. And so my father, my dad's Canadian. My mom's from New York. Um, My grandparents are from Switzerland. So they were in Switzerland during the war. Um, But, you know, my parents met and... You know, my dad moved to New York when he was a teenager to go to school. He left Canada, you know, pretty young. Um, but I, you know, I heard a lot about my grandparents talk to me a lot about their, you know, upbringing and all that and what they had to endure as, uh, as teenagers. I mean, they were, they were in their 20s during the war. So, and my dad was born in 1950, so pretty soon after the war. And... Um, yeah, so my parents met, you know, they lived in New York and been living in New York ever since. Right now they have a place in Florida and uh, they just bought a house in Jersey. So they have a place in New York. Okay. Now they're in Jersey <laughs> and they spent six months in Florida. And now I'm out here in uh, sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, but yeah, I've been, uh, I lived there for the first 35 years of my life. I've been living here for nine years now, um, which you can easily figure out how old I am. Um, <laughs> and, um, but the New Yorker is, you know, is still in me 100%. Yeah, like that fast paced, yeah. moving, I, I, can't, I can't get rid of that. No, that's completely understandable. Well, and I think that has a lot to do with your success. Um, I'm sure this has been discussed and pointed out, but for our audience members, um, your last name in Yiddish means luck. Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah. I consider and myself it's... very lucky. Good <laughs> on your part, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have siblings, honey? I do. So I was an only child for 13 years, and um, my parents had my sister when I was 13, my next sister when I was 14, and my brother when I was 18. Wow. So I'm, I'm essentially consider myself an only child, but... You know, I have, I feel like I parented these, you know, three children. 
because um, yeah. they were like, I had to basically take care of them all through my teenage years. Of course. Yeah. With that age difference, naturally. Uh, and it's interesting, like at a time when um, maybe more individual attention was needed, you suddenly had to begin sharing mom and dad with your siblings. Um, have, are they still in New York or have they migrated elsewhere? So, uh, one of them's in New York and two are in Jersey. Okay. So um, growing up in Brooklyn, what were the things you did for fun? Like, I got my homework done. I'm going to go do this now. So for us, it was so much about just opening up the front door and just playing with our friends outside. Yeah, um, you know, we lived in a very close, insulated neighborhood where we had tons of friends on my block. And I almost took that for granted. Like, this is what life is. And now living in Arizona with everybody's kind of like in their own world, um, there was something really beautiful about just knocking on your friend's door and playing after school. Yeah. Um, we didn't do a lot of, you know, the, the sports and the extracurricular activities. Like none of my friends were doing it. We were just playing. Yeah. So yeah, yeah that was nice. my, no, no sports, no art classes, no dance classes, just plain old playing outside. <laughs> well, which is phenomenal. I mean, that's community building and that's um, so important. Um, would you describe yourself as an avid reader? Did you read a lot? Oh yeah, absolutely. What, oh did, what were you drawn to read? What, what was fun to read? Um, now as an adult or as a kid? No, as a kid. Oh, as a kid. Oh, I was very into the Babysitter's Club and um, Sweep. I was into like creative, anything that was someone was creating something. So like even some of the Bernstein books when I was like a little kid, like the Bernstein bears, I read them to my kids now. And um, there's a lot of like imaginative stuff that you can get from reading. And I was an avid reader, even as a very young kid, because I had no siblings and I was yeah. pretty much bored out of my mind. Okay. Um, so yeah, reading was for sure my outlet. Yeah, yeah. Wow, fantastic. And I love how you were drawn to creative endeavors it kind of uh, resonated with you and uh, is really uh, representative of uh, what you've been doing in your life uh, but we'll get to that um, would you describe your household growing up as a traditional family yes very much so my dad was the breadwinner he made the money my mother was home they liked it that way there's no aspirations to do anything different than that gotcha. so yeah very traditional and they kind of had that in mind for you as well i understand yep they did <laughs> they wanted me to get married and have babies and that is success <laughs> got you and so i understand you um the first time around you were married at, at a pretty young age how old were you when you got married i was 18. okay you, did your parents arrange this this marriage or was it this a man you had selected in the community? No, it was actually someone in our synagogue, you know. The classic matchmaker. Yes. And so Walson Fiddler on the roof. <laughs> matchmaking is huge uh, in the Jewish community. In fact, we're like obligated to do it and we pay our matchmakers really well. Yeah. So there, there's a major financial incentive to set up 
each other. Yeah. Um, and so that's what happened. Um, and my parents actually knew my ex-husband's family. So they, they went to this, they knew each other. Yeah. They lived a few blocks away from each other. It wasn't yeah. like some random person. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, um, were you comfortable with the idea at the time or were you doing it somewhat reluctantly, just bowing to tradition and trying to make mom and dad happy? I knew that the only way to get out of my parents' house was to get married. Like there was no talk of college or no talk of anything. So marriage was what was required. So I knew I wanted to get married because I knew I really needed to get out of the house. Um, But I remember like the day after I got engaged to this guy, I remember like having like panicking and being like, oh my God, what did I just do? I don't even know who this guy is, right? Um, So when you say, was I okay with it? It definitely set, and and my parents were like, yeah, yeah, that's normal. That's normal, I feel like, you know, like you're freaking out. Um, So. Yeah. Well, so um, based on the math you've shared, um, this would have been around 94, 95? Yes, exactly. Okay. Very All good. Right. Uh, um, and so you're living this domestic life for a number of years, but in 99, you joined this medical billing company, which really changed your life. Um, so there are a number of questions. Um, uh, what allowed you to finally get a job outside the house? Okay, so I did have a job. Like when I was ah, eight, okay. when I was 17, I worked for a doctor okay. right out of high school. Okay. So I graduated high school at 17 and a half. I got, you know, I didn't, that summer of graduation, all my friends were partying. I got a job because I was like, I need to make money. I, I need to work, you know, so I did. And I got the job for this, at this doctor. And then I realized the hours were a little crazy. And then I ended up working at a stock brokerage firm, like very close to my house, which was super interesting for me to be in that world. Um, and I, when I got engaged and when I got married, I was still working in that firm. And then I realized I really like that doctor environment and I like to be in the medical space. And so I got another job at a doctor's office. And then when I was 19 years old, so I was about married for about a year, I realized that I, I need to do something more. I want to do something more. I was created to do something more. And so at 19, I had the, the idea to start a billing company. Um, and my ex-husband and his family were really not supportive. Yeah. They thought I should be, you know, I just had zero support. But the idea was there. And I really want to do it because I thought if I can bill for all these doctors and earn a percentage of their billing, I can make a ton of money. Like, what am I doing sitting here doing this for one doctor? That's stupid. Yeah, it's like right. not leveraging myself. So that was 19 years old. Then I just kept the idea going in my head and then just got a bunch of different jobs to learn everything I could know. I could start my own company. And so the last job that I had, which I was working for this large medical center, and I was doing the billing for all the specialists in the building, I just approached a neurologist, you know, that I had his own private practice with coming to us like twice a month. I was doing his billing anyway. 
I said, I heard that you're having trouble in your private practice. I'm starting my own billing company. Would you like to be my first client? And he was this Israeli guy and he said yes. And I was doing it in my apartment, literally. Like I would work nine to five and six to midnight. I was like, you know, doing it. And I did that for nine months. Okay. And um, I got a sign, like they say, like, show me the sign. I got the sign one day. I get to my office and I'm, I, I'm a typical entrepreneur because I can never be on time to anything. And so, of course, I'm a few minutes late to work that day. And I see a bunch of people in HHS jackets, like health and human services, FBI jackets. And I'm like, what the heck is happening here? Oh, wow. And I was on the fifth floor with all the admin staff, with all the medical billers. And they had us like sequestered in the cafeteria. And basically my boss, you know, did some fee splitting stuff or some shady stuff. And we didn't know anything about it, but he was being, you know, they were taking every hard drive off of every computer Mm -hmm. and, you know, read us our rights and the whole bit. And I'm like, okay this is really a sign. Like I need to get out of yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. That's yeah, incredible. And I, I do so remember, I, I never forget this because it's such a stands out in my mind so much. It happened 18 years ago and it's still so vivid. I remember taking my little box of stuff, you know, when you pack your little cardboard box and you go to your car and you put it in the trunk and it was like 11 o'clock in the morning. And I remember driving around and being like, wow, this is what 11 o'clock on a work day looks like. Cause <laughs> I would never be out. Like I was always work, and I was, always, you know, yeah. yeah, like Sundays were my day, but it was always crowded and everything was always chaotic, but at 11 yeah. o'clock on a work day, I'm like, and I never look back. It's been. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. Well, uh, to, to use another Yiddish phrase or, or word, uh, it's so great. You had the chutzpah to approach <laughs> the neurologist when you did. Uh, congratulations on that. I mean, imagine how different the world would have looked had you not had nine months of already working with a client because then you just had the confidence, I can go do this again and again and again. And so that's really how 4D was born. Yeah, that's exactly how we were born. Um, and, you know, we got, I just got client after client, you know, word of mouth spread. The Jewish doctors in New York, they're like this group. They really all know each other. And so once you're in with that group, it just became pretty, pretty easy to grow from there. Yeah. Um, And then get into the hospital world. And, you know, every time I was like friends with the CEO of the hospital, he would go to another job, he'd bring me in and I just keep getting clients, even just by people switching jobs. Um, so yeah, it, it was a good ride. <laughs> no, that's really phenomenal. Um, is there any significance to the name 4D? So you know what, we started off with a different name um, and I have a few stories of my names because I had that company for 13 years. Um, my first name when I was 24 years old and I started this company, I decided to call myself PMS, Practice Management Solutions. And people were bothering me so much with a PMS name. I'm like, dude, I really have to switch the name. So I switched it to like MD squared. um, And then I got the cease and desist letter because there was some other like company that was like MD2 and I had MD SQUARED. And so I had to like scratch that whole thing. 
Um, so we went through a couple of names, but the 4D, I, I like the 4D because it's the fourth dimension is beyond space and time. And I just right. like that. Um, and, and the 4D is like four doctors, right? And so mm. I just thought it was like a cool play on names. And it was also when you look at doing alphabetical, like you're, you're, when you're a number, you always show up first on a yeah. list. Clever. Right? So that yeah, we're yeah, always, yeah. we're still always first on every list because yeah, when people are processing their, letters. yeah, when people are processing their payables, yours is going to come up right away. Right. <laughs> or when there's a list of a bunch of vendor, a bunch of companies, like vendors at an exhibit, right, yeah. or at a conference, yeah. you're always yeah. anyway. So that was part of it. Wow, that's so clever. Um, I usually hear about these things after the fact, and I wonder, yeah, why didn't I think of that? Um, uh, re really well done. Um, so. Um, at what point did um, your first husband become your ex-husband? While you were running 4D? Yeah, uh, no, before. So oh. I was wanting to go to college and I was wanting to do stuff. And I felt like that he wanted something different. Like he was really happy with me being stay at home and, you sure, know, sure. baking cookies and all that. Um, and, and I just felt like I was meant for more. And I do think that every relationship you know, not everyone could be your, someone could be your soulmate for a certain season in your life. Mm, well and said, so yeah. that he may have been my person that I had to be with to get to a certain point, but then, you know, you grow up and there's a lot of maturity that happens from 18 to 21 to 25, yeah, right? Absolutely. There's such an evolution of like knowing yourself. I thought I was super mature at 18, but I, boy, did I grow and get to know myself so much better in my twenties. And so I used, so I was divorced at 21, wow. but I used that time to really become, you know, very independent and just really focus on my career, my business, my friendships. I traveled the world. Um, and I just, I could say I had a fantastic time in my twenties. Um, yeah. I mean, I could be like glorifying it in my mind now that I'm a mom of four, but um, <laughs> you know, at the time um, I, you know, we had fun. Like yeah, it was, yeah. it was a good fun time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's fantastic. And kudos on, on doing that. Um, I've heard you speak about the immense support you got from your mom. Um, how was it coming home after the divorce? I did not come home. I thought I would move back into my parents' house because oh. you would think that I would do that, but no. Um, I my my dad was was you know running the numbers with me. He's like, well, you're making this amount of money. My rent at the time was six hundred and fifty dollars a month, which okay. is ridiculous in nineteen ninety eight. Okay. Um, and so, you know. I, I was able to afford my rent. Um, and so he's like, I think you should uh, keep your apartment. I'm wow. like, okay. okay. So at 21, I was, uh, I was on my own. Wow. That's pretty phenomenal. Um, and well, I'm sure that gave you a great deal of a uh, sense of independence and um, all the things you were doing. Um, you're really just paving and, and constructing this amazing life. Um, through your own hard work, and so that's that's really phenomenal. Uh, I understand you did do some college. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did. like two um, classes. 
you kind of you, you had, the benefit of doing it that way is that you just picked and chose what would be meaningful to you and you didn't have to deal with the rest of the crap right. <laughs> ecology 101 and some history class yeah it was it was really short-lived oh, gotcha well you were busy you were uh, already at a point where you were creating a life or building a company that you know most people were going to school to try and learn how to do right um, exactly. yeah so that, that made perfect sense. So, um, so uh, your client base, um, was it predominantly uh, New York based or domestic? Northeast. Um, North, throughout the Northeast. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, have you ever, have you disclosed your, your revenue at, uh, at its peak or um, ever share any financial metrics? I don't want you to say anything you don't normally say, but. I have not shared my metrics. I would tell you that, you know, I was continuously aiming to break the million dollar mark. Like that was really my goal. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so I worked really hard to get to that point. Um, but I learned so much along the way. I think certain businesses, you can easily do it. And for certain companies, it's just a harder climb. And that's really what I've learned. But that was kind of you know a number i was always trying to reach but you know we've we grew and it and it, for many years i could tell you it was a lifestyle business yeah. like now in retrospect i just wanted to be able to afford my life sure um and not feel too like ball and chain to the to the company and yeah, so yeah no it makes sense you know, yeah yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so um, walk us through the decision to uh, sell the business, which you did after 13 years. Yeah, so it's interesting. I was pregnant with my third kid and I didn't, I was still running, like my office was in New York. I had people in New York and I was living in Arizona. My husband, you know, I knew that if I was going to marry him, I'd have to live here. And so I did that and then I, it wasn't working out with having everybody there. So I moved, I, I moved the company here and I always had my offshore thing. And so I had 80% of, or 90% of my employees in India. So, but it was that core managers that, so I moved them here and then I had just stress, but my clients were still on the other side and I was pregnant and a client would complain and I'd have to get on a plane and go back to New York. And every time like I had a client issue, it was me having to fly to New York and it almost became more hassle than it was worth. And my husband yeah. said to me like, what do you need this for? Like yeah. just sell it. Yeah. And um, so I had already started 4D Global, my offshore operation in January of 2015. Okay. Um, and I could talk to you about how I started that, but I've been offshoring and using India since 2005 or 2006. Wow. And so I really always had that India operation going for me, which is really what allowed me to scale. But when I started 4D Global, I still had 4D Medical. And so one of my clients with 4D Global, which was 4D Global is basically an offshore staffing company for medical billing resources in India okay. in Chennai. And so I had a client, he was a billing company in New York and he was using our people in, in, in India. And we spoke one day and I was just complaining to him about my team, like, like just complaining about, you know, my clients and how annoying they are. 
And he said to me, well, do you want to sell? And I said, yeah, for the right price, I'll sell. And um, my husband as an attorney drew up all the contracts mm. and literally the deal was done in 30 days. I mean, really? he gave me everything I wanted. I wanted more money up front. I didn't want to do the whole note thing and yeah. deal with all the variables of what could potentially happen. And it was like the best day in my life. I mean, it was, it was amazing. I felt so relieved and I was like, okay, <laughs> we're done. <laughs> like, Fantastic. right. So like, I True. think sometimes you have to know when it's time. True. Um, and I could have sold maybe a little bit earlier when it was more at a peak, you know, it's always about a mentor friend once told me, uh, every business it peaks and then plateaus and it's, it's important to identify the peak and then sell at your peak. So. Oh, it's, uh, it's always very hard to gauge when that is. <laughs> you don't know it at the time because you think it's just, wow, the business keeps building and it's going to keep going. Why wouldn't it keep going? So yeah, you do, I mean, and by definition, you don't know it's the peak until after it starts to come down slightly. Right. Exactly. So there are indicators now I could tell um, because I've, I watch businesses closely and, you know, you, you, there are certain things that are tell signs. But for me, you know, especially in healthcare, um, there's a political aspect to it as well. Yeah. Right. So, you know, for sure. let's go back to 2005. And you have this inspiration to begin offshoring. And um, so the, the labor intensive part, I imagine, is like the, the coding and then the submission. And the AR, like being on the phone with insurance companies and calling insurance companies. Uh, okay. And so that's why India was a natural spot because there was a, an English speaking base. Yeah. yeah. The, the one thing, the British gave us <laughs> that in the university system and the railroads. Those were the positives of the Raj. Everything else was kind of oh, could have done without, but. <laughs> well, I just, you know, the first time I went to India was so uh, mind blowing. And, and what year was that? Honey? That was in 2000 and seven okay. 2008 you know and this is before social media before you know when anyone could have a website and you have no idea yeah. you know, what what's going on so in 2005 i was dating this guy in england who i i was he was here and i came there and I, i'm doing some billing work and he says what are you doing you should outsource this to india and he's like, let's just find some India companies. And we just put in a bunch of inquiries online and I just forgot about it. And, you know, this Indian company called me and they actually came to New York to my office, which is actually in my parents' basement at that point, because wow. I had moved it out of my apartment. Yeah. And they offered me a free trial and it was amazing. They were working while we were sleep, while I was sleeping, I would wake up, all my data entry was done. I was like, this is the best thing ever. So <laughs> I was for sure sold on the offshoring, especially because New York is really hard to get talent. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're dealing with New York attitudes and, and People want to get paid a lot for, so it was a no brainer outsourcing, no brainer. But what happened was I was working with this vendor and these two top guys that I've been speaking to for months 
um, decided they're going to leave this company and start their own company. And apparently this is very normal in India, especially in Chennai. There's, everyone thinks they're an entrepreneur and everyone wants, and, and back in the, those days, like you really had no idea. Like there wasn't a Zoom. There wasn't like, you know, social media <laughs> oh, where it's like, show me all your pictures. And it was, there wasn't even like Google Maps, like, you know, where you can see where people are at or Google Earth or, you know, Google Earth, where you can really just see, you know. So I had no idea if these people were gonna be in a tent with, you know, what kind of backup generators that, like, I had no idea. So I got there, I just went to visit like 10 of the biggest VPOs uh, in Chennai. And um, on my trip back, I decided that, you know, one day I do wanna have my own. And, um, And I did try you know, so I had a few failed attempts, which, you know, I don't really talk about that much, but I have had some, you know, interesting learning experiences. Um, That's what they bring us. When we don't get what we want, we get experience. Exactly. So <laughs> I was very desperate to start my own thing. Like I really want to start my own thing, but you can't just wake up one day and start a BPO in Chennai. It doesn't really work like that. And you need connections and you need to pay people to, to get this stuff done. And I I had no idea about any of it. All I knew is that I had a few talented billers and that was all I had. So I approached this guy in Brooklyn who I knew in the community and he was doing like nursing staffing and I knew he had an office. So I, I, I approached him and said, could I use your office? and just put my guys in your office and I'll pay you rent and that was it. Well, he's an attorney as well and he drew up, so I went to India then, this is about, you know, 2008, and I set the whole thing up, got all my guys to, you know, and he employed them and so now they're employees of his. And then I get home to the contract and I mean, he wrote a contract that was the most ridiculous thing ever. And I gave it to two or three attorneys to look at. And everyone's like, stay the hell away from this guy. Yeah. Like he is like, you know. And so there I was, I let, I had all my core team in an office and he wouldn't release them. <sighs> and so he basically created a, a company with my core people. Yeah. And he was like, forget you. I'm just going to go and and so he started, I basically helped him start his own BPO, which is still around today, which oh, wow. you know, I hope nobody uses because of the karma yeah. that yeah, <laughs> he exactly. started his company. Now, but, was this, uh, was he Indian origin? Or? No, no, he was not. Um, and uh, he, you know, he just, he took advantage yeah, of, of, course, of what yeah. he had. And, I'm curious, uh, that, that first group that came to New York, were they based in Chennai? Is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Um, I would have stayed with them had I not felt so unsteady about unsettled about his their top people calling me. Exactly. That was no. That this is a very common thing uh, in India, and uh, I I just find it interesting. Like um, Chennai, uh, they speak Tamil, and uh, their script is also completely different. So for me to communicate with someone from there, we have to use English 
which seems really odd because in, in like North India and, and Mumbai, where I speak Hindi with everyone there, but that's uh, just how geographically it is. And in many ways, they say that um, the South Indians are the true Indians because they're the Dravidians. And um, in the North, we're more of a mix of the, the Persian and Mughal conquerors that came through and, and intermarried. <laughs> so um, oh, it's, it's so fascinating. Um, really sorry to hear about this um, lawyer who kind of All harmed good. you. All good. So a couple, like a month or two later, randomly, some guy from LA called me. He was in the tech support business. He had a thousand employees in Bangalore and he was just buying billing companies, didn't know anything about billing and said, I am having trouble getting the billing companies to move work to the Bangalore team. Could you help me? Hmm. And he called me for some other reason, but because I had already been to India, he's like, oh, maybe you could help me with this problem. So I said, sure. And so he paid for my trip to go to India and I spent two days in Bangalore and I'm like, nah, guys, <laughs> they have no idea what they're doing. The quality was completely off from what oh. I was accustomed to in Chennai. I flew to Chennai, we did 60 interviews in two days. I hired the core team and I started this company for this guy, Mark Haberman, who was on my podcast. Um, and we started um, just for our billing companies, mine and his, and it worked out really well. And we did that until 2014. He did a roll up and he sold all his companies and he was moving all his people to Pakistan. and all these 400 guys were now out of work aside from like my core team. Yeah. And so the company really started, I started 4D Global because I wanted to make sure these people had work. Oh, I mean, wow. that's really why that, if you want to know about my why, the why for starting it is because these guys were so great. They were so loyal. They were so dedicated. And I just wanted to make sure that they had work. So I went to work and called every single friend I knew that owned a billing company and said, I have these great guys. Would you give them your billing? And I got a bunch of clients out of that and then just kept growing and growing. And then when I sold to you know, my, my billing company, I was like all in on this offshore operation. Yeah. Amazing. Wow. And so the offshore operation, does that do... It is exclusively medical billing. Yep. Wow. The riches are in the niches. <laughs> Got a niche. Got to keep that niche market. Yeah. yeah. Well, and uh, I mean, it's uh, interesting to think about like market share and, and things like that. Do you share that info or do you release that? I mean, there, the medical billing BPO in India is booming. Yeah. I mean, if you look at, I, I look at it over the last 20 years, they were the first ones to get into the billing space. And in today's day, if you are not offshoring as a billing company, you, you're not going to survive. So, it, but as far as like market share, like what, I mean, I don't, I don't know those numbers to be, to be honest, okay. but hmm. I could just watch it and see what's happening. You know, I mean, there are like, you know, I don't like to use the word competitors because I, that's to me a scarcity mindset and I don't go with that thing. But yeah, if so you look at cool. other BPOs in Chennai, yeah. I mean, we're looking at 10,000, 15,000 employees. 
all in the medical billing space. So, and there's lots of them. That's incredible. That's a huge amount. What percentage would you say of medical billing in the U.S. is offshored? Not enough, but um, yeah, there's that's a great. lot. There's still opportunity yeah, then. there's a ton of opportunity. There's, yeah. and, and you know what? The hospitals are offshoring um, a lot, many of them. They don't talk about it, but they do. Um, medical billing companies for sure. And if they're not, they're little billing companies in their house and they're really not going to take their company to, you know, $10 million in revenue. They're, you know, they're small companies. Um, And, and then there's the whole, you know, software companies, right? There's many, like many software companies that get into the billing space that also need to be offshoring. And some of them, some of them are, and some of them aren't. Um, and then there's, you know, all the large medical practices. Like if you have more than one or two full-time billers, you should be offshoring. Wow. So huge market. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's exciting. Well, and you've also expanded to the Philippines, if I read correctly. Yeah. So we have, because, you know, people have issues with accents for people that want patient calls um, you know, they want their patients to be called. I recommend using our Philippine arm that, you know, we have. Um, but for the most part, most of the work is happening in India because they're highly skilled and they know their stuff. And the Philippines doesn't have the talent pool that I find Chennai has. And once you get used to a certain talent and a certain quality, it becomes very obvious when the, t- when the quality is different. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, and um, uh, how recently did you start your Philippines operations? So the Philippine operation is really a partnership with another friend of mine that has a place in the Philippines. So we have space and we pay them per seat. And so we've had that relationship for a couple of years now. Um, and then we have some people that are okay with someone working from home. And so that we would just source that person and manage them. And, you know, so it just depends on what the client wants. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, how many employees do you now have in Chennai? We're at a few hundred right now um, and growing every day. I would say we had our best month uh, last month and it was all, all just from existing client. Congrats. Every single client just added a lot of people. Because what's the difference if I have somebody working at a home in Los Angeles versus at home in India? It's the same, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, fantastic. Congrats on that. Um, So uh, going back a little bit, uh, what year did you remarry? I got married in 2011, September 1st, 2011. Gotcha. Um, to yes, the love of my life. He is just wonderful to hear. Perfect person for me, but yeah. it took me a while to find him. <laughs> <laughs> that happens, but it's it's good that uh, you waited and uh, found the right one. Um, and now you have uh, four children. Share with us about your children. So I have my daughter who is seven. I have another daughter, Rebecca, who's six, and uh, I have two boys. Uh, my son is turning five and my other son is two. Wow. So, okay. yes. 
just knocked them out. Yeah, you did. <laughs> Girls to boys, to me, that was just perfection. Yeah, absolutely. That was someone else planning that, but yeah. you know, that everyone has a friend, they play great together. I mean, life is good, thank God. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. Congratulations. Sounds like a wonderful family. Um, how do you manage? How do you balance um, with uh, mom duties and, and running a global enterprise? Delegation. Um, big delegator. Um, I, I don't think that what I do is super unique. I built this whole company that doesn't depend on me. We can do just fine. I just was in California for seven weeks um, doing, you know, minimal amounts of work and the company did great. So yeah, uh, I delegate a lot. I teach people to do what I know how to do and I, I hire talent and I do the same thing in my house. Um, I don't get involved in a lot of the things that someone else can do. No one else can love my children and read, like read to them and, and, give them the values that I, and that's what I take on myself. And I, I even calendar that on my calendar. So there's calendar time for dinner time and bedtime. And, you know, even like family swim time, if I want to do that in the middle of the day with them. Um, Cause those, I really am very intentional about how I choose to spend my time. And just as important as business success is family success. You can't have, a great business and a terrible family life. It's, it's gotta be, everyone's gotta get. I completely agree. Um, ultimately it's, it's our own happiness that's at stake. And if we're, we've only fulfilled one aspect of our lives, it's, we're gonna feel incomplete. Um, so uh, I think that's wonderful. Um, how often do you make your way back to India? So I was just there in February and I was supposed to, I had a ticket to go back in March because we we're doing some EOS implementation. I don't know if you're familiar with EOS. Yeah. Um, and I had to cancel that March trip. Okay. still have my credit. So um, as soon as things die down, I definitely right. want to go. We're actually moving into a bigger office space now. Yeah. So I'm super excited to go back again, but yeah. It was once a year, and just depending on what's going on, um, it could be more. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, so as often as I need to go, and I love going. I really yeah. do love going there. I don't mind the travel. Right. Um, in fact, it's the only 18 hours that I'm not bothered. <laughs> I can really, like, chill and relax. And it really does go by very quickly. Yeah, I know um, what you mean. Yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I, I was really moved, uh, honey, by what you shared um, about the 400 employees that you felt like you really wanted to to take care of. Um, that says a lot. And um, is that um, kind of looking after your work family? Is that an important business objective of yours? Yeah. So when you ask about my why and my real intention, um, for me, you know, a business for just profitability to me is not exciting because, you know, that doesn't really serve anyone. I am really looking to create a healing organization where we lead with kindness, we lead with empathy, 
um, and we're able to do some extraordinary things and touch people and in, in touch people's lives and make their lives better. So my goal for 40 is obviously to really take care of my people, take care of our vendors, take care of our customers, and even just the greater India community. So in February, we built a, a lab, a computer lab for an orphanage, um, which was super, it was so fun for me personally, because just watching those kids and just being able to be part of that experience was phenomenal personally. It just made me so much more appreciative of, of how blessed I am. And, and then even now with COVID, I mean, one of my leaders on his own said, you know, let's collect money and we all have jobs and let's try to help all these people, these homeless people. And so I said, okay, great. I'll match whatever you collect. And again, we, you know, the culture is kind of expanding to my team, which is really beautiful to see. Um, my team said to me, you know, our security guards, can we do something nice for them? I said, sure. Um, we just had one of our employees lost um, his dad last mm -hmm. month. And, you know, he's been such a key employee of ours. He's on an agent level, but he, he's such a great guy. And I said, let's just give him a month's salary and help mm -hmm. pay for the funeral. So mm -hmm. there are just things that we can do that, that to us are, are minor, but, you know, to the people that work with us, you know, and same thing for our clients. Obviously, we go above and beyond, and that goes without say. But just having that kind of company where there's a Jewish um, philosophy about we're here, everyone's here in this world for a purpose, and we can't take our wealth with us. But the purpose, I feel like my purpose is to make this world a better place, that I want it to be better than before I got here. And if I can make an impact and help people and bring joy and, and happiness to the people that, you know, I can't do it to the whole world, right? <laughs> but I could do it to my, in my circle. And so that's really what I'm, I'm trying to do. No, that's phenomenal, and um, is it's great that you quoted uh, that uh, the Jewish theme or sense because what was going through my mind was I wondered if this sense of community and looking out for everyone uh, harkens back to your time growing up in Brooklyn, where the door was open, everyone's door was open, and you just had this sense of community and building and looking out for each other. Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, that's that's how I grew up and we really helped each other. And that's part of, yes, how I was raised. And even if you want to take it a step back, even to my grandparents, you know, the sacrifices they made for each other, um, you know, through really difficult times and they really had nothing and were, you know, fighting for their lives. It all came down to, they got through it because of community. And um, community is so vital. Um, for our development, for finding meaning in life, and just, you know, trying to do the best we can um, one day at a time, you know, every little, every little opportunity we get, if we could just make a little bit more of a difference. Oh, that's so well said. That's excellent. Honey, this has been such an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for uh, sharing so much of your life experiences, being candid about all that you went through. Uh, as I said at the outset, it's been deeply inspirational. Um, you've 
you're successful on so many levels. It's, it's really wonderful. And uh, I wish you continued success in all you're doing. You are so thorough. I'm shocked <laughs> by all the research you did. I didn't realize that you knew so much about me. Um, so that's pretty cool. It's great that all this information is so easily available. I'm passionate about inspiring other uh, women entrepreneurs to follow their dreams. And I wish that I had more support when I was a young teenager in my 20s um, for people to say, like, you can do this, um, instead of keeping everything a secret, because I didn't want to get any negative energy out there. And so I think now with podcasting, with, you know, people having voices that didn't have a voice, hopefully women will realize that they can do tremendous things. Absolutely. And you just have to have a dream, you have to have a drive. And, um, and you could have a great life. Now, this life is not for everybody, but I feel like I'm living my best life now. So. You just said it absolutely perfectly. Everyone needs to find that, find their best life. And um, again, it just uh, how yours came together and all that you did and the inspiration you found and the insight of I can scale this, I can do this for others. And then just, uh, you know, making that happen. It's really impressive. And, uh, and and thank you for emphasizing the support we need to provide to female entrepreneurs. Um, uh, I, actually, the, the two businesses I'm actively involved with now have uh, female co-founders. <laughs> I was chatting with another fellow who is in a similar boat, and I said, yeah, you know what? I think I'm only ever going to partner with female founders. This is so much better. <laughs> Women are going to change the world. We are. I mean, we have like men are awesome don't get me wrong they're great but i think women have like something a little bit different they bring to the table um that i think we're you know there's we're gonna change the world so i'm i'm excited to see how the next you know how our kids and our daughters you know navigate this and we're just creating a path for them to to really you know, reach their full potential. So thank you so much, Asim. Uh, if you want to connect with me, I'm on LinkedIn. And um, thank you so much. No, thank you. This is really wonderful. And your comments have been great.